Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, everyone. I chatted to Kenny early this morning. And he sends his love to you all, sends his greetings. He is feeling fluish. So if you want him to pray, pray for his health. health. The temperature is minus 21. So I'm not surprised he's feeling a little bit fluish. So if we could pray for him, that would be helpful. But thank you, Francis and Mark, for the opportunity to minister this morning. I always think it's such a privilege to share the word. And this vision for us this year of living it up was I but only tested in it this morning when I got in the car to drive here my car is dead dead as dead you wouldn't even think there was an engine in it (laughs) it's not even showing a little spark so I'm trusting that it is the battery so Debbie had to come and fetch me but I thought you know what at that moment that it happened I had to look up how do you know that this, how many of you know that this living it up is not about us living it up in the flesh and having a party and drinking the wine? Living it up is where is our focus and where is our gaze? And we've seen that in the prophetic word. I've been so I'm encouraged by the prophetic words and even the prayer meeting. All of it is pulling us back to where is our focus? Where is our focus? And Colossians 3 is the, is the foundation of our vision this year of living it up. Where we, the scripture actually tells us, I mean, I love it, the message says all the action is happening up there in heaven. And we to keep our eyes on what is happening in heaven. So even as we do that, we will then live abundantly and we will live full of joy and we'll live what God wants us to live. But it starts with where is your focus? And I think even as we change our focus to what is happening around us, I had to put aside the fact that my car is not working and not get distracted by it. Thank you for the prayer meeting this morning, Lauren, of being distracted. And keep my focus on what God wants to do. And do you know, a couple of weeks ago, in January sometime, I gave a prophetic word on God is busy preparing the wineskins for the pouring out of His new wine. And just after that, we're seeing what's happening in America at the moment with um, the, at the chapel of Asbury Chapel. If, if some of you have been watching what's happening in the news, a revival's broken out there. They started with a chapel service at the university in Kentucky on February the 3rd. That day, no one has left. It's still happening 16 days later. And there are miracles coming out of there of things that God is doing. The new wine is starting to flow. We have a choice whether we're going to jump in or not. God's going to do it. We have a choice whether we want to be part of it or not. And today's message, because I felt very challenged after I'd given that prophetic word of us, God wanting to prepare our wineskins so that we can receive the new wine. Because when you look at, at them doing that, the wineskin that is old is rigid. And when you want to pour new wine in it, it's not flexible. When you want to pour new wine in it, that wine, that, that wine case bursts because the new wine is organic. It is moving. It is life. And it stretches. And because the new wine cannot, the, the wineskin cannot accommodate that new wine, it bursts. If we are not accommodating what God is wanting to do through us, we will burst. In other words, we'll bail out. 
And God challenged me in this when after I'd given that prophetic word, I felt God say to me, Maureen, what do you think that looks like? And I had to come before the Lord and say, Lord, tell me, what does that look like? So today, my title of my message is Preparing the Wineskins. Preparing the wineskin. And I'm wanting us to have a look at what is our responsibility. If God is wanting to prepare the wineskin for the new wine, what do we have to do about it? And so I want to look at it from John 2. The miracle of turning water into wine. And as we go through the scripture, I'm going to just make a few comments as we go through it. But then at the end of it, I want to give us four keys that we can apply in our life for us from the scripture, for us to prepare our wineskins. But before I read the scripture, I want to just give a little bit of background because it's a wedding. We all know the scripture, it's, it's, it's the story, this miracle. It's very popular. Yeah, every one of you should know how Jesus goes to a wedding and turns the water into wine. But what we need to understand is the context here. The wedding that we're reading about in the scripture is not the weddings we go to today. That wedding has taken a year to prepare because the couple got engaged, which was as if they were married. But then for a year, that bridegroom had to go and prepare a house for his wife. That bridegroom had to go and save money for the wine and for all the things. And it was a huge, big community affair. The whole community was invited to this wedding. And it was a, a sign of your hospitality or prestige in the, in the community. The community gets involved, there's joy, there's celebration, and everyone can't wait for that wedding to happen. Everybody knows about it. Everyone gets invited. Oh, you're going to the wedding. I'll see you at the wedding. So if anything had to happen at the wedding, like the wine running out, can you imagine what discredit happens to that bridal couple, especially to the bridegroom? They live with that stigma for the rest of their life. So they will never get over it if that wine had to run out or anything disastrous had to happen at their wedding. It brings great public shame on them. And when you read some of the rabbis' comments on this, on this miracle, it even goes as far as the bridegroom can be found if there's not enough wine. This wine is a big issue. Let's read chapter two from verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So let's just stop there for a minute. On the third day, what on earth happened in day one and two? Did none of any of you ask? What, on the third day, so now Jesus, had just started his, his ministry. He had up until now been a little carpenter in Nazareth, doing the work that his, um, Joseph had shown him. And he had had his business looking after, and um, at this time, Joseph had passed on. Joseph had died. So Jesus was the head of the home. So Jesus was looking after his mother and his brothers and sisters and, and making sure everything is right. But now the time had come for him to start his ministry. So he left Nazareth and he moseyed down to where John the Baptist was in Bethany. And if we can put the map up for me, 
Oh, great, you can see it. Yes, Francis, I've got a map. So what Jesus had done, he had left Nazareth. He'd gone down to Bethany because he had heard that John the Baptist was baptizing down there. So John, the, he goes down and he hangs out with John the Baptist, who's a second cousin or whatever it was, and at the same time gets baptized and calls his first four disciples. First Andrew, then Simon Peter, Andrew's brother. Then he calls Philip and Philip tells Nathaniel and Nathaniel joins the, 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 the whole party. But now Jesus knew about his invitation to the wedding because this has now been known for a year and it's a community event. Jesus has been invited, so he's got to get back again. So it takes him a full day. Can you see where Cana is? Cana is about five kilometers out of Nazareth. So everybody in Nazareth knew everybody in Cana. It was a tiny little village. Cana. So everybody in Cana would have to go into Nazareth for goods and, and stuff that they needed. So Nazareth and Cana knew each other. Whoever stayed in Nazareth, whoever stayed in Cana, they knew about it. So everybody was being invited to this wedding that was in Nazareth and Cana. So Jesus is down at Bethany. He's getting baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist has come on the scene and that was a sign for Jesus to be, start his ministry. John the Baptist had come out of the wilderness and started to proclaim and prepare the way for Jesus. So Jesus comes down and says to his disciples, gets his disciples together and they start a whole day's journey from Bethany to Cana for the wedding. Now we pick up on the third day. The third day of what? Jesus' ministry. He comes here and there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, calls his first disciples. And it says here, his mother of Jesus was there, but Jesus was invited. Can I tell you guys and girls, it's a very good idea to invite Jesus to whatever you're doing. Invite him in your workplace. We heard the testimonies today of that happening. Invite him in your marriage. Invite him wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Invite him in your parenting. Invite him in your friendships. It's a good idea to invite Jesus in. Because as we see from the scripture, miracles happen when we invite Jesus in. Kenny and I are ministering today after 33 years of ministry and 42 years of marriage because we invited Jesus into our ministry and into our marriage. Otherwise, I can tell you right now, and for some of you sitting here who know Kenny's in my walk, we would not be here if it was not for Jesus. But we see that Mary was there. Why was Mary just there? Because she was part of the crowd helping with this wedding. Remember Cain and Nazareth connected? So everybody knows each other. And, and so this wedding happening might have been some related to Mary or, or very good friends, but either way, she's invited to help run this wedding to make sure everything is happening. But Jesus got invited with his disciples. He pitches up with his four disciples with him and maybe that's why the wine ran out. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's just us and huckies. <laughs> So what strikes me with this was that Jesus was involved in the everyday affairs. He stopped whatever was happening with John the Baptist at the River Jordan when he was starting to collect his disciples. He stopped that and came back to Cana for the wedding. He's interested in our community. He's interested in what we are doing in our daily lives. But we need to invite him in. Let's read on. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. 
And Jesus said to him, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So just looking at this, Jesus' response to his mother seems very strange. Remember the scenario that I've given you? He, up until now, he had been looking after his mother. He was head of the house. So it was natural for her to go to him with everything that was going wrong. So she toodles up to him, Jesus, the wine's run out. He turns around and he says to her, mother, when my boys say to me, mother, then you know something's going down here. I mean, they would not say that. I'd give them a clap, never mind. But he says, mother, what is this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It is very important we understand this dialogue between Jesus and, and Mary at the moment. And the key to understanding it is in that phrase where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. What was happening here was that Jesus was speaking to his mother, even though the word mother was a, very, it was a polite form of addressing women in those days. So he wasn't being ugly to her, but it just was very strange that he would do that to his own mother. It wasn't normal. So that's why we need to understand this. But the key to it is that Jesus was speaking to Mary as her Lord, not as her son. He now has an agenda set by his Father in heaven and he was no longer available to Mary's agenda. He had stepped into his ministry and his mission, which was to go to the cross. And he was now on a timeline that was outside of Mary's timeline. So when he says to a woman, what does this have to do with me? If you go back to the original and you have a look to see what he was actually saying, he was saying to her, what do you think you and I have in common? Because why does he say that to her? Because things now have changed. He's now addressing her as the son of God and her Lord. Because his ministry had now started. So immediately he shifted, something shifted in his relationship with Mary. And you see this continually through his, his, his um, teachings and through the gospels and through his walk, the three years that he walked out his ministry, there were times when the crowd, he was teaching the crowd and his disciples came and said, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are, are here wanting to speak to you. And he said, who is my mother and who is my brothers? Those who do the will of my father. Again, when the family, mother and brothers wanted to press into him, he stepped back and he redressed it as the Lord and the Son of God. And he says, those who do the will of my Father. He was on a different timeline to them. I wanna say to us today that there are some of us who God wants to radically take hold of us and put us on a journey that will be so radical, our, our family and our parents will turn back and start criticizing us and start judging us and starting to wanna pull us back into their agenda and their timeline. You will have a choice whether you will do what Jesus did and follow the agenda and the timeline that God has for your life Remember, we heard earlier on, what are the promises? Trust God in the promises. Or you will sit and bow down to the demands of your family that are pulling you away from it. That is a prophetic word. Let's read on. His mother said to the servants in the next verse, do whatever he tells you. That is a key word for us today. Do whatever he tells you. 
Mary recognized immediately she did not get her knickers in a knot. She did not go and cry on the shoulders of somebody and say, oh, what you my thunders did to me? She recognized instantly that he was speaking to her as, his, as the Lord. Don't forget, this is Mary who had an encounter that produced Jesus in the first place. And she knew that he had now transitioned into an agenda that was not hers. His ministry had started. And so she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. She was not gonna interfere. She recognized that he was in a different position and she just sat back and let him do what he wanted to do. And we know, reading further, that Jesus did nothing without the Father telling him. So he was already connected to the heart of the Father and wanting to hear what the Father is saying because it was the Father that was ordering his steps in his ministry. Who is ordering our steps today? The culture we are living in or the Father? The Lord that we are serving. And we should be having that same attitude that Mary had. We will do, Lord, whatever you're telling us. Let's read on. So nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. In the ESV version, it says Jewish rites of purification, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, which is a hang of a lot of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I can tell you right now, quite honestly, if anybody said to me, you see those jars, go and fill them with water. I say, what do you need them for? Do I really have to do that? But they filled them to the brim. There was no room for anything else to be added. And you know what? The servants had to draw this water from the well. That was hard work and it was time consuming. And if I was one of the servants in those days, I would say, seriously, we've just had to fill them for them when all the guests arrived. This was a sacrifice for them. This was not something that was easy. It was a sacrifice. Jesus could have just have made the wine appear whether there was water in there or not. Why did he need water? But he made them fill up with water. And the servants did what Jesus had said. They did not argue. Jesus always invites us into his miracle. The servants were invited into his miracle. They went and they filled up those jars of water, which was a sacrifice. It was time consuming. It was a hard job. But they did it with no arguing. And what we can learn from this is that Jesus invites us into the miracle. You see that with the 5,000 when he fed the 5,000. We see that in a lot of his miracles, we were involved, people are involved in it. Then reading on in the next verses, he said, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew because they'd been invited into the miracle. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everything, everyone brings the choice wine out first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too, had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. 
This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. This was the first of his miraculous signs. Do you know that it wasn't only the first miracle that Jesus had done, it was the first miracle that had happened in Jerusalem, or in Israel, in amongst God's people for over 400 and odd years. This was not a culture of miracles happening. There had been silence for 400 and odd years. Between Malachi and Matthew was over how many years? 460 odd years, whatever years. No word of God was heard. No miracles were being done. So this is a big deal that Jesus chose to be at Cana to reveal His glory through a miracle for the first time in 400 and odd years. But He chooses a small private family affair. He doesn't choose the main synagogue in the town. He chooses a back beyond little Cana. Doesn't it remind you of where he was born? Bethlehem. Also an inconsequential little town nobody ever heard of until Jesus gets born there. Cana. Nobody knew anything about Cana until the first miracle. Now you take a trip to Israel, Cana is the huge big deal. But he chooses a private affair between family and friends in order to reveal his glory. And do you know what else? None of the wedding party knew about it. The only people who knew about it was Mary, the servants who filled those jars with water, and his disciples, nobody else. That is what Jesus chose to do. Sometimes we want to, when he does things, we want the big pulpits, we want the big things, we want the whole world to know, we throw it onto Instagram, we throw it on Facebook, we throw it on. And you know, this so challenged me. Because you know what I normally do before I preach? The whole world knows about it, I've posted it on Facebook. Big picture of me prepping. I felt so challenged not to say a single word. But, and only because of the ministry that Kenny and I have, we have an international ministry, so we've got a lot of people that will want to, that come in and listen even to venture churches services. I was so challenged. It's not about me. It's not about us. In this case, Jesus could have made it all about him, but he didn't. Because he sets a pattern for us. When we start walking in the miracles, we can lose what God wants to do when it's bugamina but it's Jesus, he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. When John, in, the, in this gospel of John, John calls them signs, and in the whole, instead of miracles, and in the whole of gospel of John, he only mentions eight signs. The first, in the first half of, of John, he has seven, and in the last book, um, chapter of John, in John 28, he has his final miracle or, or sign that, that he, that he records. And he actually tells us in John 20, the reason why is because he only lists the miracles that he wants people to see that Jesus is the Christ. That's the, the miracles that he mentions. So looking at this first miracle of Jesus, I want us to answer the question, what do we have to do to prepare ourselves for the new wine of the Spirit? Can I tell you that a shift is coming? This new wine 
it's bringing a shift. God is wanting to pour out His Holy Spirit and He has already started to pour out His Holy Spirit on the body of Christ that's bringing a shift and a change in our lives. He is wanting to reveal His Holy Spirit in new ways. Do you know that Isaiah scripture that so many people prophesy at the beginning of every year, God's doing a new thing. Do you know a new thing means it's never been done before? I'm saying that that's what's happening right now. God is doing something new that is new for each one of us and we are each at a different place in our relationship with Jesus. But He's doing something new that has not been done before because He wants to demonstrate His power, His grace, His glory through His people. Why must we be looking at it at the world in order for us to look at what power is there. God wants to bring out that authentic display of His Holy Spirit. So when we are looking at this, we need to find out the first point I'm wanting to make is that we need to make ourselves available for the Lord. In John 2 verse 6, when those stone jars were available, we need to make ourselves available for the Lord. Those six stone jars that were available for Jesus to use, that number six represents man. How do I know that? Because man was created on day number six. So it's num- the, man, the number for man is six. And a stone represents our humble weakness as humans. And we actually see that scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So God, this is a prophetic picture of what is available. What was available for Jesus at that wedding for Him to pour out the new wine? Six jars of clay. We need to make ourselves available for God to use. And what gets poured into us matters or who gets poured into us. It's not our qualifications. It's not our our learning. It's not what school you've been to. It's not all that. It's what's being poured into you right now. That or who, that is what matters. In Romans 12, verse one, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you know what this verse is saying to us? Why does it not say that our spiritual act of worship is offer our hearts to God? Offer our spirit to God. But it says body. Do you know the body is what's sitting in the chairs right now? How many of us by now, whatever time it is, has offered it to God as a living sacrifice? Do you know to worship God's a sacrifice? Why do we raise our hands? Not because we wanna show everybody we're holy. We raise our hands because of Jesus, our relationship with Him. Jesus, I am offering you my body as a living sacrifice. I don't feel like worshiping you right now, Jesus, because my car just wouldn't start this morning. I've got so many distractions in my mind. I'm thinking about this, and you know what? I've just had a big fight with my husband or my wife. I do not feel like worshiping you today, but I am going to do it irrespective of my feelings because it is a sacrifice to you. And the minute we do that, it comes up before God as worship. 
Not the type of song we are singing, not whether it's a fast song or a slow song, not whether the drum beat is drumming or not, or the guitar's playing or you're in tune or not. It comes up as worship because God sees it is a sacrifice. When you put your money into the tithing basket and it's your last hundred bucks, and you don't know where you're gonna get food from the next week. God sees it as worship because it was a sacrifice. What are we doing that's a sacrifice today? That is your spiritual worship. So it goes far beyond a Sunday. It goes far beyond your, your Bible study or your, your connect group or whatever you're doing, your life groups, whatever you're doing. It goes far beyond that. It is what you are doing from the time you open your eyes to the time you close your eyes at the end of the day. When you have done a sacrifice, when it's been against your feelings, when you've done it because God has said it, when you've walked in that path because you know it's right with God, when it's been a sacrifice to you to get out of the bed at four in the morning because you're wanting to pray and speak to God, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when you get a phone call from a friend who is desperate and in need of help. For Debbie to come and fetch me this morning because my car wasn't starting was a sacrifice. She had children's church to prepare. But it comes up as a spiritual worship before God. When it's worship before God, God is pleased. This is making ourselves available. This is saying, Lord, I wanna be available for your new wine. I wanna live a life of sacrifice. I wanna take this body and meet, put it in places you want it to be. I, when helping people, stepping out for the benefit of people, sometimes that is a sacrifice because we do not wanna, yeah, our flesh and our comfort, but anyway, um, that's another point, I'll get onto it. The other thing I wanna see on this, this making ourselves available is that these jars that were used were ceremonial jars. So they, they were the Jewish purification. In other words, they, they were according to the Jewish laws. They it deals with religion and tradition that hinders or controls the freedom and the life of the Holy Spirit. These were religious artifacts. They were religious vessels. Jesus used what was religious to turn it into his new wine of the Spirit. What is religious in our lives? What do I mean by religious? Religion and religious being religious is anything that we have in our life that, is, that, is, um, that we are following or that we are choosing to go after that is man-made or rules of man that cut out what God wants to do. For example, when we were ministering in Canada just straight after COVID, the church that we were ministering into Vancouver had moved into a cinema. Now the cinema in Canada was a cinema of note. It had about 15 or 16 or whatever um, different cinemas, was all plush. The chairs that you sit in to watch the movies were lazy boys. You could flick your feet up and they, they were really comfortable and they were pitch black dark and they were all made of this felt blue and we were now going to minister there. And as I arrived and I looked at the cinema with this huge big shopping mall, it's in a shopping mall, and here with the cinema, in my mind and heart, I said to the Lord, Lord, what on earth can you do in a cinema? How can you move in a cinema? 
Because to me, the cinemas, I mean, look at the movies that get played in those cinemas. And the cinemas starting at 11, so we were having church at nine, we we're gonna be out by 11. I'm telling you, it freaked me out. But it freaked out the religiousness in me. God was so gracious. He put me flat on the face as he walked into the cinema that morning. The Holy Spirit just hit all of us. The pastor stood up and he said, I have never done this in all my years of ministry, but I'm telling each and every one of you, kneel right now. Because of the presence of Jesus. I was totally outdone. I was flat on my face, glued to the floor for a good 15, 20 minutes before I could stand up. Because Jesus walked into that cinema. Almost saying, yeah, Maureen, you thought I couldn't move. I can walk through walls. I can do anything. I can walk at work in a cinema. That whole, and I realized it was my religiousness that just was going to hinder and restrict what God wanted to do because it was against what I thought was the right way of things happening. Man-made rules and regulations that we put on ourselves still remain ineffective. We have to change our wineskins so that the Holy Spirit can flow through us. A religious person is someone who lives or worships according to a particular set of traditions, beliefs, rituals, and practices associated with their belief but their actions may not necessarily reflect a genuine love for God. A person with a heart for God, on the other hand, is someone who has a deep personal relationship with God and their actions are inspired by their love for God and their desire to follow His will. When you look at the Gospels, the only way of time that Jesus really got irate and angry and and, and um, came up against people was the Pharisees. In essence, while a religious person may follow religious traditions and practices out of an obligation or a habit or a desire to be accepted by man, whereas a person with a heart for God is driven by the desires and purposes of God, which may not necessarily please man. Who are we pleasing? God or man? I wanna say that when I look and hear with an ear open to what God is doing and saying in the body of Christ, the prophets that are credible, not the flaky ones, are prophesying a great divide in the body of Christ between those that are wanting to follow man and society and tradition and rules and regulations and religion and those that are after a heart after God and is being flexible and open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. There's a divide coming and we have a choice to allow God to prepare our wineskins so that when the wine gets poured forth, we don't bail out and throw our arms in the air and say, no ways. Do you know, I'm jumping my, let's go to number point two. Sorry, I was gonna quote a scripture, but it's coming under my point two. So when you look at point two, we need to be willing to change. So yes, we make ourselves available. So now God wants to do what He wants to do. Oh God, I'm not doing that. We need to be willing to do what He's saying to us. 
Jesus said to his servants to fill the jars with water. The jars were filled with water. Jesus did not let the wine just appear on the empty jars. Do you know that our bodies are made up of roughly 60 to 70% of water? Jesus takes our lives, no matter whatever we have available and are able to give Him, no matter how simple or small or insignificant it may be, and He turns it into something that will influence others. Wine influences, water refreshes, but wine influences. He changes what we are into what we need to be to host His presence. The gospel is a gospel of change. It's about heart transformation. We are changed from glory to glory. No one who calls themselves a child of God or a disciple of Jesus stays the same. Change is a key word. Change is here to stay. Jesus could have just got the water to appear in the wines, but he didn't. He changed something. He changed the water into wine. We need to get into the power of the presence of Jesus so he can change the water, what we have in us, what we are full of, into wine. Just as new wine cannot be stored in old wineskins without bursting them, we cannot receive the new things that God wants to give us if we are not willing to change and adapt. In Luke 3 translation, it says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. And I love the Passion Translation. Yolandi shared it with me. You refuse to even taste the new wine that I bring. May we not be a people who do that. Old mindset, this is what is happening, is our old mindsets that say the old is better. Fear of the unexpected or the unknown. So we hold back and we are not willing to step out in faith into the new one. We've got this rigid mindset that says there's no way that that is biblical. There's no way that that can work. There's no way the Holy Spirit will do that. Can I tell you that there's a reason, there's a scripture in the Bible that will tell us that the Holy Spirit can do something that is not specifically written in the scriptures. Do you know what that scripture is? Corinthians, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but he's revealed it by the Spirit. There's coming upon the body of Christ things that God wants to do that will surprise us, that will shock us, and if we are not grounded in the Word of God, we'll either reject it when it is of God, or we will run after it when it's not of God. It's our mindset that has to change. The old is too comfortable. That's why we don't wanna taste the new wine. We cannot get comfortable where we are and be happy with the old. We don't like change, so we resist it or we reject what God is offering us because we want to stay with the old. We wanna be comfortable and convenient and resisting the change that confronts that this comfort and this convenience, so good for me, will hinder us from participating in God's story that is busy unfolding on the earth today. 
We need to be part of God's story. Do you know this living sacrifice scripture from Romans 12 I said? That means that we take ourselves out of our comfort and convenience and we place ourselves into what is uncomfortable and inconvenient because following Jesus is not comfortable. We need to submit and surrender to Him. God is preparing the wineskins, but we need to be willing for God to break the limitations that we place on our lives and the structures that are causing us to resist change. In Genesis, God said it is finished when He created. In the Gospels, Jesus said it's finished when He stood on, hung on the cross. In Revelation, the church will finish when it stands as a pure and spotless bride. We are called to finish. What God has begun in us, He will bring to completion. But we limit ourselves so we don't see what God wants to do with us. Let me move on to number three. That's just getting a little bit too harsh. Okay, let's, number three, let's take bold steps of faith. Remember, we are looking at what can we do in order to prepare our wineskins? What part do we play in this preparation of our wineskins? We see that we have to make ourselves available, but once we're available, well, then we see that we now have to be willing to do whatever God is telling us to do. But now we need to take some bold steps of faith. When his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells them to, can I tell you it took courageous faith for those disciples, for those servants to fill them with water and think they're going to be, I mean, they know there's no wine. So now Jesus says to them, go and fill it with water. Do you know I would have thought he was a lunatic? You are going to, look, you know what, Jesus, they are not that drunk. They are going to know that this is water. But they filled it with water because Jesus said so. And that this took courageous faith. The servants had no idea who Jesus was, that he had the power to do a miracle. They were probably thinking that he was a lunatic, but they simply obeyed. Can I tell you that faith today, we do not have to know the whole picture. It's simply about obedience. Simply obey what Jesus is saying to you, even if it seems to be foolish but then we need to be expectant to hear what God is saying. And that came out with, with what Jared was saying this morning. Trust God, trust in Him. If He has said it, believe it. Don't go and try and make your own thing up. This is not the time to shrink back, be silent or to hide. This is the moment to allow our wineskins to be prepared for the new wine by taking the bold steps of faith. Obedience is so key in this season that we are living in. It will lead us to genuine encounters with the Lord as a lifestyle. And the encounters we are having with God will start dominating our conversations. Steps of faith. Number four, remember it is always about others. It is always about others. When you look at this whole miracle, who was blessed out of the miracle? The people drinking the wine. None of those people knew that they were drinking, first of all, water that had been changed into wine. They just thought, like the master said, you've kept the best wine for last. 
it is always about others. We need to remember that God loves people. And if we are keeping our eyes on Jesus and we are becoming more and more like Him, guess what? We will become more and more loving people because Jesus loves people. Jesus was extending grace to this couple because He knew the stigma involved of this wine had to run out. So He was extending grace because He loves people and producing that wine so they would not have to own up to everybody and say, oh, there's no more wine. And they live with that for the rest of their married life. But what happens when we see people as Jesus sees people, Jesus himself said that the love that we have for one another and by, the, the, by our fruit, we will know that we are his disciples. If you're wanting to look at somebody and want to see how's their relationship with Jesus, look to see how they're treating people. How are you treating that person on the phone that is so terribly incompetent? God challenged me with this. Somebody asked me about a year or so ago, said, Maureen, what is your biggest bugbear? What is the biggest thing that you can't handle? Such as stupid people, incompetent people. Do you know the Holy Spirit, I think if the Holy Spirit stood in front of me right there, would have slapped me through the face. These are people God loves. I had to change my attitude. And no matter who is on this other line that is so incompetent and doesn't know what to do in dealing with my problem, no matter who that taxi man is driving in front of me and cutting right in front of me that I have to slam on brakes, no matter what is happening in the queue I'm standing in with TV license or what car licenses, whatever queue you're in in a government institution, what is your attitude towards the people? That is a reflection on your relationship with Jesus because Jesus loves people, warts and all. Silliness, whatever's happening, incompetence, he loves them. They are a work that God is busy with and we cannot judge that. I was so challenged by that. People belong to God and they matter to him, but we unfortunately live in a selfish society Philippians 2 verse 3 and 4 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you know that when God, when we hear preachers from here, up here in the pulpit, when we are hearing the prophetic words that are being brought forth of what God's saying, whose word is it? Whose word is it? It's God's word. So if God is speaking that, even through a, prophet, uh, through a preach, that, I mean, we have fantastic preachers here, and I wanna encourage those who missed out on Michael's last, year, last um, week to actually go and listen to it. Because this issue of man, of, pe- of people, he covers very well in his people matter, together matters. And have all of you, when you walked in this morning and you heard the message, have you picked out your rock, your stone? Go and listen to the preach last week. People matter and they belong to God. But what happens is that we are living in a selfish society and so we embrace that. And we think that we have a right to proper service, proper this, proper that, because we pay taxes. Do you know that if you're truly living under Galatians 2.20, you've got no right? It's not I that lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live in faith in Jesus Christ. 
want to read this quickly and I'm finishing. There's all this other stuff that I'm not going to go into. This prophetic word was given to me on Friday. Just listen to this, what God is saying prophetically. Recognize the shift. And what I'm speaking at today, recognize the change. It is important to recognize when a season has shifted. The clothes that you wear in winter are unlikely to be suitable for the summer months. Similarly, when how you live in and respond to one spiritual season will differ from how you will behave in a different season. After three years of disruption, upheaval, waiting and containment, we have now shifted into a significant new season. Recognize and respond to the shift. There has been so much more change than we realize or need to understand that the Lord is doing something completely new in our midst. The wind of the Spirit is blowing in fresh ways and in new places. It is not like anything you've seen before and it won't follow past patterns. The green shoots of this new work are appearing all around you, but you will need the eyes of faith to perceive them. Watch and see. It's going to increase, intensify, and accelerate. He is redefining what is normal. He is causing you to be dissatisfied with the same old. He is making you hungry for more. This new one simply won't fit into old paradigms or expectations or mindsets. It's simple, yet difficult to define. It's effortless, yet takes careful stewarding. You may need to be repositioned so that you can enter into and embrace the fullness of what is being poured out in these coming days. You may have to surrender your need to control or let go of what you thought things should be like. You may need to alter your schedule or change your plans. These are not ordinary days to be prepared to adjust. So be prepared to adjust your sails or even change your course if you, don't want, if you want to catch the wind. Stay in constant communication with the Spirit. Be sensitive to His subtle stirrings. He will lead you into a good future the Father is placing before you. Recognize the shift. Can we please stand? Can we just close our eyes for a minute? I honestly feel a weight on what I've just read, but a weight on what I've said in this preach this morning. I feel it's a word and season for each and every one of us. And do you know that it doesn't just stop here? As the Holy Spirit has been stirring your spirits into certain things that I've said during this preach, what's been said in the testimonies, what's been said in the prophetic words, you need to go home and allow it to massage in you. Pray it, write it down in your journal, work with it, because that's how we grow. We don't just listen to what gets said on a Sunday, walk out of here and forget about it until next Sunday. We don't grow in that way. We don't step into anything that God has for us if that's the attitude we're going to take.
So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will start dropping into your heart that which you need to work on in order to grow spiritually. Nobody wants to have babies that are 20 years old that are needing still to be fed. The Holy Spirit here is wanting to bring us to maturity. So I'm, I'm praying that even now the Holy Spirit's starting to stir. And I know we've had people come in, in the front already through the worship, but I'm wanting you to step forward. If you feel that there is an adjustment that you're needing to make, if you're feeling that you're needing God to help you with pre preparing your wineskin, if you're feeling that you're struggling with change, if you're feeling that there's change happening and you're wanting to know which way to go, what to do, if you're feeling that you're wanting to respond, that a change is coming, a shift is coming, and you're wanting to be part of it. You wanna prepare the wineskin. I'll pray that you'll just come forward and allow the Holy Spirit to just come and work in you. I honestly feel there's something that He's wanting to do with us. There's some of us here that He wants to break off limitations. There are some of us here that have been limiting us into stepping what God wants us to step into. He wants to break that off. There are some, some of us here that do not know what the next step is. And you're listening to me say, take bold steps of faith, but you don't even know what those steps are. You don't have to know. We don't have to understand. We just have to take that step. So as we just keep our eyes closed, and I just want those that are feeling that, just, just come forward and we are gonna pray with you. There's a shift coming, people. There's a shift coming. And that shift, unfortunately, is gonna create a divide in families, in the body of Christ, with those that are on fire for God and who's got an ear to hear what God is wanting to say, they are the ones that are gonna run with the new wine. The ones that are not are the ones that are gonna struggle and wonder why things are breaking down around them. There's a shift coming. Can we close our eyes and just lift up our hands? Holy Spirit, I thank You for Your precious presence that is hovering over us right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful presence where You are falling upon hearts. You are seeing the hearts that are coming up before You as a living sacrifice. There's such a weight of the presence of the Lord that is falling right now. Open your hearts. Take out those distractions. There's a new thing that He's wanting to do in your life. Lord, I wanna pray for every person that is standing before you now. Just lift your hands up if they haven't been lifted up. Lord, I thank you that you hear their cry. I thank You that You hear their desire to step in for You to shape and mold and fashion their wineskin so they can step into all that You have for them. Lord, I thank You that their yes that you, they have said to You today is resounding in heaven and is pushing back the work of the enemy over them. And I declare today that this church will walk into the freedom that God has called it to walk in. That I declare today this church will walk into all the purposes that God has. I declare today Day, that the new wine will flow. The new wine will flow as you have prepared the wineskins. 
We thank You for that, Lord, in Jesus' precious Name. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.